We are continuing in our study. Amos is a powerful, powerful book, and it's a powerful book for this day and age and for this nation that we live in. It's after the book of Joel. We are in chapter 7, and uh, I would ask that the Lord would help us to hear His Word and receive it. Father, I invite the ministry of Your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and our understanding as to what You are saying through Amos, not only understanding what He said in history, but now by Your Spirit speaking unto us, that we may be moved and we may be shaken to obey your heart through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll remember, Amos is speaking to the nation of Israel, the northern tribes that uh, have been filled with injustice and idolatry. And in his prophetic woes that he gives unto this nation, he speaks to them concerning their idolatry and concerning their injustice. And as we got to the third chapter, we saw the first charge that Israel as a nation was aimless. He said, and he grieved, Father said, my people don't even know how to do what is right. That is a sad declaration. That the people of God don't even know how to do what's right. And they're to be the pillars of truth. They're, the one to, they're to be the light in a dark place, but they're as dimly lit as the world. He then brings a second charge and says, your affluence has made you serve the idols of mammon, the idol of pleasure, and the idol of self-sufficiency. You're more concerned with your own material wealth, goods, and means than you are for the poor around you. And that is injustice to my spirit, says God. And thirdly, he said, there is such apathy. Woe to those who are at rest in Zion. In this state and condition, how can we be at rest? How could we be satisfied with our spiritual condition with such apathy, affluence, and aimlessness? And God would speak to this nation through Amos. And what we see in chapter 7 then is that Amos begins to share the visions that he had. And this is not uh, sequential in the, the point that after he preached, then he had these visions. But these visions were what he saw so that he declared these messages to the people. And it says here, the first vision was that of locusts. And what he says is this. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me next. And then He showed... After the locust, he showed a fire. But what I see interesting with this is that locust is always in reference to armies. 
And what he says is that God showed me locusts that are coming to devour the land. And in 2 Kings 15, 19 through 20, it tells us the history of that time period. And it says that during the reign of Menahem, the Assyrians came and attacked Israel, but turned back and didn't take the whole land after 10,000 talents were paid to them. And so what you see here is the prophet who has a vision of the judgment of God that he had been warning the people about. And God said it will come like locusts to devour them. But Amos cried out in the middle of God's judgment and said, No! Forgive us! Forgive! And God stopped the hand of the Assyrians from going any further. He then had another vision of fire. And he said this fire was coming to consume the land. And as it began to roar and consume and burn up everything to devour, Amos saw the judgment of God so powerfully that he wept and he said, Stop! No, God, we're too small. How will we survive? And God stopped and relented and said, this shall not happen. And when you go to 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, it says, during the reign of Pekah, the invading armies of the Assyrian king carried away the land of Nephtali and a significant portion of the northern part of the kingdom and then stopped. He was coming to take it all, but he stopped as the Lord caused him to not take the land at that time because of Amos's intercession. Then, after those two visions and his intercession, we see that God said, I am putting forth a plumb line. How many of you know what a plumb line is? It's a weight attached to a string. And because of gravity, as you hold that weight by the string it will carry a perfect line by which you can build everything in a proper alignment. Almost like a cornerstone, if you will, but it, it makes sure that everything is, you've heard this expression, plumb. It's a plumb line so that everything is built straight. And God told Amos, He said, this is what the Lord showed me. In verse 7, the Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am sending a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. He showed the plumb line of what is true and right according to God's ways and God's principles. And how do you think Israel lined up to God's true mark? There was no longer any mercy. God had sent the locust, yet no repentance on Israel's part. God had sent the fire, yet no repentance on Israel's part. This time He aligned Israel with His own holiness and justice, and they have been found wanting. He said there's no relenting now. And Israel was attacked. What we actually find out in 2 Kings 17 is that the third invasion of Assyria, led by Shalmaneser V, 
destroyed those ten northern tribes forever. Lost. And so you see Amos's mission, but what I want to focus on here in chapter 7 is truly the man Amos. Because after we see his visions and the results, we also see that he was in fact rejected by the priests of Bethel and those religious leaders in Israel saying, Amos, get out of here. Your word is offensive to the king and offensive to us. And this was the church leadership, if you will, saying, I don't want to hear this. This is bad news. Can't you say anything a little more positive? Our God's a good God. Look at how blessed we are. It's a downer listening to you. Who wants to come listen to Amos preach? And he's warning and warning, and he was rejected by the people. Here he is sent to bring the word of the Lord, to bring a word of repentance and mercy that they could restore the nation once again. And they reject him. Said, what kind of prophet are you? Why don't you go prophesy to someone else? And, And Amos says, look it! I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm a sheep herder and I raise sycamore fig trees, but God sent me here with a message. And I don't have a choice. And he spoke, my goodness, to Amaziah, the priest at Bethel. And he says this to him. The Lord says your wife will become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. He doesn't relent his message. He doesn't stop his message. And in fact, if you begin to understand the heart of a prophet, he gives this woe to this man for the sake of his repentance. And the man would not repent. And so in this chapter 7, we have a glimpse into Amos. We've heard his ministry. We see what he has to say. We see the condition of Israel. And we recognize that whenever there is a prophetic woe, it is because God is warning the people to get right. God's mercy always comes before his judgment. We even see in this chapter, God's mercy will gladly interrupt his judgment if there be but one who will stand in the gap. Now, God has told us to study the book of Amos so that we would walk in the spirit of Amos. And so we've got to get this right because by natural order, we would all be happy to judge someone else and say, you're condemned, and if you don't get it right, you're going to hell. But I got it right, and I'm going to heaven. That's not the spirit of Amos. The spirit of Amos is he's broken. He delivers these messages. And then when he sees the judgment of God coming, when he sees the judgment of God coming, he begins to weep for his people. He begins to cry out, this is too much because I want you to know something. We don't even understand the beginning of God's holiness. 
it would not be wrong for God to destroy planet Earth right now in judgment, except for one who stood in the gap for us. We don't even understand the power of God's judgment. Brothers and sisters, we say that if America doesn't repent and doesn't turn from its wicked ways, God will judge this nation. I believe that's true, but I am not convinced the church is quaking under that in fear of what that judgment will be. We don't know the power of His judgment as a nation. But it is beyond our comprehension. So much so that when the prophet who began to see and speak for God saw what was coming, he fell on his face and said, God, forgive us! These are the people who rejected him. These are the people who said, get lost, get out of here, stop it. He didn't turn from them, but in fact stood between the judgment of God and those people. Though they rejected him, his heart was for the people of God. And God wanted someone to stand between the sinners and his judgment. And it was Amos. One man saved the ten northern tribes. One man who came to tell them repent, and they wouldn't. And he held against the judgment of God, and God listened to one man. But the people would not relent. They continued to go down the path they had been going down. And the fire came to consume. And again, Amos saw this and said, God, stop! We're too small. We're too weak. He interceded. He prophesied with a broken heart. When I began to consider his name, Amos, I looked at the initials and understood that a true prophet of God is a man of sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn those who weep, those who have sorrow. Can you imagine that one man, one man could stand in the gap? A man of sorrow. Do you know what also a prophet needs to be? A man of strength who will not relent when everybody else is against him. Can you imagine an entire nation? Could you imagine that your peers, those who, who uh, look upon you and reject you? Co-workers? How about family members? You have to have strength to hold on to the gospel, especially in this day and in this culture. You have to be able to speak the word of God with sorrow but with strength. The sorrow is that you weep for the sinner and the lost because we too were once 
lost sinners. But by the grace of God go we. We weep over their sin and the blindness that they have. But we are strong not to relent, but to stand even when judgment is coming on their behalf. We are a people of sacrifice. A man of sacrifice. He left his sheep. He left his fig trees to do what God had called him to do. This is a man of God. This is the spirit of Amos. Brothers and sisters, it will be inconvenient for us to serve God. Inconvenient in what we consider the world's ways. But it will be all that you were meant to be. So we are men of sorrow, men of sacrifice, and men of strength. Ladies, you're included in that. That's the spirit of Amos. Can I share with you what it means to stand in the gap? Because the Lord knows it is the day and the hour for the church to stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22 says this, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. No. I looked for a man. A man. Now, I used to understand standing in the gap as to filling in what was lacking between two places. That you would mediate between those two places and stand in that gap. What I have come to understand through Amos and other portions of Scripture, but to stand in the gap is literally when God said, I'm looking for a man to build a wall and stand in front of me. So that I have to stop from doing what I want to do. Now is that because God is evil and God doesn't know what should be done and He needs someone to tell Him what to do? No, it is God looking for mercy. It is God who in all righteousness and holiness has the right to destroy sin off of the face of this earth. He never created it. He didn't want it to be here. It is destroying all that He has established. He could at any minute destroy everything. But He's looking for a man who has His heart to stand up and say, No! Forgive! No! Stop! I'm looking for a man who will cry mercy so that I can establish mercy. I've given you dominion on the earth. You have the authority on the earth, God said. Now who will stand in my authority to say mercy so that I will not have to bring judgment? In fact, let me illustrate it for you even further. In the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 42. Look it up later, read it. I'm going to just tell you the story instead of reading it. It's the rebellion of Korah. There was a leader among the tribes named Korah, and he just didn't think that Moses and Aaron should be the top dogs. Who made you in charge anyways? Uh, God. But they didn't see it that way. And they thought they should be in charge as well. Let's put it to a vote. 
When Moses heard this rebellion, he said, Korah, he fell on his face and said, man, all right, meet me in front of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting with your censers. And if you know the story of Nadab and Abihu with the fire that they brought before God, this was a test. And so as they approached the tent of meeting, and Moses and Aaron came, and as they approached the tent of meeting, and Korah came with his fire and his incense, uh, Moses and Aaron looked at each other and fell quickly on their face, and the fire of God came out of the tabernacle and consumed Korah and his tribe. Now, the next day, the people of Israel, of the tribes, came to Moses and Aaron and said, you killed our people. That was not very nice. And Moses said, woe to these people. And he looked at Aaron and he said, Aaron, grab your censer off and the fire from the altar and begin to run among the people because the plague has started already. The backbiting the anarchy, the rebellion turned into a physical plague among the people. And what it says in Numbers 16 is verse 44, And the Lord said to Moses, Go away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. I am done with these people. And so God had challenged Moses. He said, I'm going to destroy them. They deserve it. Moses fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. What Aaron did literally was stand between the move of God's judgment and the people that were left alive. Standing in the gap. Mercy. 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 Literally standing against the judgment of God. As Moses saw the I'm sorry, as Amos saw that judgment of locusts coming, he stood and said no. As Amos saw the fire coming, he stood and said no. But there is a point at which God has had enough. We saw it in Sodom and Gomorrah and as Abraham interceded for that city. And even if there would be ten righteous and it was not enough to the final point when God's judgment will come. His judgment will come. And when it comes, it will be fast and furious. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For our God is a consuming fire. And as in the spirit of Amos, we are telling our society, stop killing babies. We're telling our society you cannot redefine the holy sanctity of marriage that God ordained. We're telling this nation to stop its adulterous ways. 
We're telling this community to stop all of its sin and addictions and pollution to the land of breaking words and breaking promises and stealing and robbing and extortion. We're telling the land this. And we're warning of judgment, but I think we've got to come to the next level, brothers and sisters. We have got to get ready to stand between God and these people. That's what I'm saying. If you want to have the heart of an intercessor and the heart of a prophet, it's not enough to just warn them of the judgment. But now we've got to take it to a new level. And I'm so serious about this. And I don't think the church is ready for this. I don't think this message has been preached. I think we're finding something now that's coming under the revelation of God for this day and this hour is will my people stand between me and my judgment with this nation? Are you willing? See, now this is what's hard. This is what's hard. Let me give you an example that will be very clear. In this political election, we listen to sides and we listen to about this man and about that man and, and who should be president and who shouldn't, and we built attitudes up towards them. And now, quite possibly, the man that's in office was not the one you voted for, but you got so saturated with such hate and indignation towards him, how will you stand in the gap for him? We watched the movies, we listened to the tapes, we heard the news, we know how mischievous, how diabolical, how this, how that. You've been saturated with information, but what about the man's soul? And now we're in a place where the church should never have been. Despising a man because the world told us to think this way about him. And even if some of this is true, it is not your place. Our place is to stand between the judgment coming to this nation and all the people of this nation saying, God, wait just a little longer that we could cry out for more souls to be saved. Peter said that God is not slow in His coming, but patient so that more would be saved. That patience is so that you and I would cry out for a nation that is so perverse and lost, that is failing so quickly. It says that Peter also tells us that, this, that Lot's righteous spirit was vexed. Lot, his righteous spirit was vexed by Sodom. He was a judge in that city. He lived at the gate. He was a righteous man, Peter says, and his soul was vexed. What was he doing? We always criticize Lot. What were you doing in that city anyways? He was taken out of it, wasn't he? That would indicate one thing. He was righteous. So why was one righteous man left in that city? To stand in the gap for that foul city. But he stayed till the point of judgment and stayed till the point of judgment where God had to finally say, Lot, get out of my way. We all want to go in the rapture. We all want to get out of here as soon as we can. I got my bags packed. 
My ticket's bought. Get me out of here. This stinking world. I want to go in the high. By and by, by and by. Get me out of here. That is not the spirit of Christ. He said, will I find faith on the earth when I return? Will I find one soul who says, don't take me yet. God, save another. God, save another. You know what the rapture is about? The rapture is God saying, enough. It's enough. Come and get out of my way. But we're not there yet. We have to stand in that place. And can I tell you that the spirit of the prophets who stand in the gap all represent the one the plumb line that God sent 2,000 years ago and hung from heaven to the earth. It was a perfect line of justice and mercy. It was the one who stood in the gap for the entire human race. That when the judgment of God ready to pour out against all human sin, Jesus said, put it on me. Put it on me. He stood in the gap, and he took all of the judgment that God had for mankind upon himself so that if you would come into this plumb line, you would be saved. I looked for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. But in Isaiah, he says the same thing after he found none. He says he made bare his right arm, his saving hand. He exposed his saving hand. And his logos, his son, became flesh. He found the man, Christ Jesus. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. God put on flesh And God hung a plumb line for all of us to see. As Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Rejected and despised by men. You see, the story of Amos is the story of Jesus. Yet, he stood in the gap. Brothers and sisters, you and I, are sons of God. You and I are children of the Lord and we are to represent the full stature of Christ in this earth. We are his body and he put his body as grace and mercy between the judgment of God and a fallen people. We are now called for that gap. You are to be the plumb line of God. You're to be a people of sorrow to pray for the sin-sick world, a people of strength who will not relent from it and stay your position, and a people of sacrifice who will do all so that some may be saved. This is the heart of Amos. It's the heart of Jesus. Now that heart dwells in you. Let us nurture it and develop that heart to be the plumb line of God. Let's bow our heads.